Cashflow Guys Podcast, episode 164. You got no cash flow because you never let go. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler Chef. I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Yes. I'm still dicing it up. I'm still acting like a little boy, living that radio star fantasy dream, whatever it is. Anyway, hope you guys are having a great week. I hope that you got your cash flow and I hope you learned to earn last week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And I hope you've gone out there and taken some massive action. This episode, we're going to talk about courage. I'm going to start talking about courage by telling you a little story. So this is Uncle Tyler's story time. Last Saturday night, we were, Jill and I were out with some friends. We went and had a dinner party, you know, the couples type thing. We go out and have dinner and all that, had steaks and and that's all fine and dandy. Went to go hear a band play over in Tampa near where we live. We're having a good time, the whole nine yards. And I'm watching, I'm we're people watchers, right? We like to, I like to observe people and how they uh, act and what they do and just kind of how they interact, right? You can learn a lot by watching people. So I got, sometimes I guess I look like one of those old people at the mall that are kind of staring, but you know, I try not to be all creepy about it, but I, I do it because I find people fascinating. I enjoy just being in the room and being around people and just watching what they say, how they act, their mannerisms, the whole nine yards, detecting who's full of poo-poo and who's not and all that good stuff. But I have a little story about courage that I want to share with you. And this won't take me but a few minutes. So bear with me as we go through this, you know, we're sitting there having a few drinks with our friends and having a good old time. The band's playing and people up there on the dance floor doing their thing, you know, getting jiggy with it the whole nine yards, which when I see that, I miss that. I used to be somebody, you guys probably think this, I'm crazy and this is, this is crap, but it's true. I used to be a dance instructor a long time ago. I used to be a country dance instructor. I was the guy that was out there teaching everybody how to dance. I learned how to dance when I was in the army many, many moons ago over in Germany. That was back in the late eighties, early nineties when country was just getting popular. Country was getting cool. So I used to be a country dance teacher. And back then, you know, I was single and what a great way to meet the ladies. So you can imagine, I thought, well, if I just get good at dancing, I don't really need need to learn how to talk to them. All I got to do is dance and hopefully that'll do its trick. And it did. There you go. That's not the story I want to tell you though. What I want to tell you is this. I'm watching this gentleman who was uh, walking up to the dance floor and I didn't notice him. He was sitting at the table right behind us, but I didn't notice him right away because I had my back to him. But I'm watching this guy. I get to watch this guy. He walks by me and kind of tap my chair so I could move, you know, get out of his way and whatever. So I, I go move my chair out of the way. I want to be polite. I don't want to be a weenie or anything like that in public. I slide my chair out of the way of the guy so the guy can pass. Come to find out he's got some sort of a physical disability and he's walking. He's standing upright, but he's usually he's using two canes, one on each hand, left and right hand. And I can tell he's having a very difficult time moving. And I watched him. I kind of felt like getting up and and going behind him to make sure he was okay. I tend to be overprotective sometimes. Drove my kids crazy with that. My girls when they were growing up. My point was, is that I was watching this guy and I was was convinced. It was one of those things where you just convince the guy's going to fall. And everybody really starts watching this guy and looking at him. So at the end of the day, he's got half the bar looking at him, which made me want to say, hey guys, quit looking. But then, you know, it's going to make it worse. The three people that weren't looking that would look. Then I started thinking about, what is this guy going through? What's going through his mind right now as he's walking up to this dance floor? And more importantly, what the hell is he going to do when he gets up there? He can barely stand as it is. What's he going to do when he gets to the dance floor? Why would he even try if he doesn't even have a strategy? And maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I started having all these different thoughts and I thought this would be a good thing to talk about because I can point out some illustrations and some parallels to what some of you might be experiencing when you're out there in the real estate space, trying to figure out how to get some passive income, trying to get some money in your pocket, trying to retire or at least get set up to where maybe you can replace your normal income. And so long story short, he keeps walking and, and I'm 
starting to pay attention to how long it takes. And he had to go maybe 20 feet. And I'm not exaggerating when I hear when I'm here to tell you, it took him probably a good 10 minutes to get 20 feet. And I felt terrible for the man. And I wish I could pick him up and carry him. But obviously that would make him even more uncomfortable. And he was a young guy. He's probably in his late 20s, maybe his early 30s. But I'm going to go ahead and say he's probably in his late 20s. He's got a severe physical impairment. It didn't bother. That didn't phase him. Did That did not stop him at all. He decided that he was going to get up and no matter what, in front of all those people, take his lady to the dance floor. Man, I respect the hell out of a guy like that that has the guts, has the determination, the balls, if you will. No matter what, nothing's going to stand in his way. He's the kind of guy that if I, and I'm a big boy, if I would have stood up in front of him, he probably would have gave me a beat down. He was going to that dance floor no matter what. No matter what, he was going to take his lady up on the dance floor. And that was that. He spent this all this time getting to the dance floor. I mean, literally... They went through a couple songs from the time he got up to his chair to the time he actually got to the dance floor. And he walked right up to the middle of the dance floor. He propped himself up on his cane and he just kind of shook back and forth a little bit, you know, kind of moving with the music, the rhythm, sorry. And his girlfriend or wife was with him and she was in front of him and she was doing her thing, dancing normal. And they had a great time. And I really enjoyed watching that. It was really inspiring watching somebody have the courage. Talk about getting uncomfortable. How about the courage it takes for that man? Number one, to go through the physical stress. Forget about emotional for a second. The physical stress of challenging every fiber of his being to get every muscle in his body, everything that he has inside of him to get up to that dance floor so he can dance one song with his wife. And you could tell he did the one song. I'm sure it was tiring for him. You could tell he was sweating real bad and having a hard time. She offered to help him back. He did not accept. And he was able to get himself back to the table, which took just as long, if not longer, than it did the, on the way up to the dance floor. And I thought, hell yeah, you know, that's what I want to see. I love seeing people take the kind of action that a man like this did, no matter what, no failure, no matter what it takes, having the courage to succeed. And there's a lot to that, ladies and gentlemen, that courage to succeed. I've struggled with that from time to time. I could probably be in a lot bigger portfolio and bigger bank account and bigger business and bigger everything. But there's been times where I've let a lack of courage hold me back from doing that. And instead of regretting it, I recognize it. I'm going to harness that. And the next time that I think that I can't do something or something's too big or too complicated or too much work or whatever excuse I come up with, it really means I lack the courage. I'm going to think about the story of this gentleman, about the courage that that guy went through just to get to the dance floor for one song. How long does a song last? A couple minutes, two, three minutes, maybe. He went through all that, invested a good 20 minutes of his life. And I can't imagine the physical drain on him to get up there and not only up there, but back just so that he could dance with his lady, just so that he could see, he could achieve what he wanted to achieve and turn around and come back. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I know that a lot of times it's extremely terrifying to do anything when it comes to money. I get it. I understand it because every time you turn around, somebody's in your pocket. You got these insurance salesmen out there trying to sell you these uh, whole life policies and all this garbage. And you got wholesalers out there trying to tell you that $50,000 houses are worth 300 grand. You got realtors telling you that this is a great investment, single family house that rents for $5 that sells for 3 million. They're telling you it's a great investment. I get it. I understand it. I understand it's terrifying. But think about this for a second. Let's talk about the definition of courage. Definition of courage is defined as the ability to do something that frightens you. And I saw a secondary 
uh, definition when I saw this or when I was looking this up earlier. It says it's also defined as strength in the face of pain or grief. Let's think about that for a second. Strength in the face of pain or grief. So you hear people say having the courage to, and then you can finish your own sentence. For a lot of folks, this may be having the courage like this man did to get on the dance floor as a normal person who does not have any physical impairment. I remember starting when I was learning how to dance many, many years ago, it was terrifying for me to get out there. You know, I'm just your average, ordinary white dude getting out on the dance floor. I got no rhythm. I have no, no nothing. I have no skills when it comes to that. When I first started learning to dance, I had none whatsoever. Trust me, I tell you, I tripped over my own feet, face planted more than once. And that was before I started drinking beer. I looked like an idiot when I was out there in the dance floor. And there was nothing wrong with me except for the fact I was born with no talent. But besides that, there was nothing wrong with me whatsoever. But once I started to not really care, not really focus on what other people thought, because at the end of the day, what I noticed is every time I fell down, nobody really moved. Nobody did a thing. They just kept doing their thing. And at the end of the day, what I've finally come to realize is that you're going to trip and fall. People are going to realize that if anything, people are going to offer to pick you up. They're going to offer to see if you're okay, because that's what normal people do in normal society. So if you walk down the street tomorrow and you trip over a crack in a sidewalk and fall flat on your face, there's a pretty good chance that someone will come to your aid and ask if you're okay. But there's also high likelihood that people will step over your carcass and keep on walking. I mean, if you're in New York City, they'll probably step over you and keep walking or worse, they'll step on you. But at the end of the day, you not you not succeeding is your problem. It's not anybody else's problem. So is it logical to think what other worry about what other people think if you succeed or fail? I say it's not. I don't think it makes any logical sense, although that's what everyone, including me, allows to hold them back. Now think about the courage. This man to me showed incredible courage getting up to the dance floor, but I have gone, here's a couple of fears that I've had in the past, but I've got over them because I've decided to have the courage to go out there and face these things head on and do it anyway. And fear of writing offers was one of them. I was paralyzed writing offers. I was convinced that they weren't going to, they were going to expose me as a fraud. They were going to, they were going to want all the money up front and I had to go apply for a mortgage. This is how ridiculous I was. I've been a real estate agent, as I said now, for almost 20 years. I know exactly how the process works, but for whatever reason, when I put on my investor hat, I just assumed that I had to have all the money right then and there. And that was how things were done. So I wouldn't write offers because I didn't have a checking account with 200 grand in it when I'm writing a $200,000 offer. Even though I'm going for financing, I was, I was that ignorant, that scared that I was convincing myself of things that I know for a fact are not true. Had I talked to myself in the mirror, I would have said, Tyler, you're an idiot. You're applying for financing. Check the box. It says financing contingency. Write the damn offer. Move on. What I realized is that one of the fears I had in, a, in accordance with the writing the offers, I also had a fear of off the offer actually getting accepted. And that was a bigger problem, actually. It's like writing the offer, that's just an act. I can write 100 offers. So here's how I overcame the writing offers thing. And this may sound crazy, but I ask you to try this if you have trouble. I did my research and I limited the amount of time I did my research. This is stuff that I teach guys and girls in my uh, mailbox money coaching program. So you want more information about that, go to mailboxmoneycoach.com. Anyway, I had a huge fear of writing offers. So what I did is I sat down and I wrote 30 offers. I just picked properties. I went on, on Zillow and I, I just, whatever came up, I wrote offers on them. I wrote offers all in a row. I wrote 30 offers in a row. It took me better part of a day. My hands were worn out. I, I literally hand wrote the offers, wrote out the tax ID numbers, wrote out the address, wrote out the price, did the math, figured out what I wanted to offer, and, but I never sent them. I did that on purpose because I wanted to go through the process of actually writing an offer so I could tell Tyler Brain when Tyler Brain crops up and says, dude, don't write the offer. It's too much work. You're scared, whatever. Tyler Brain would, would kick in and go, dude, quit being an idiot. Just write an offer. It's not The act of writing the offer is not the problem, Tyler, because you've done that 30 times in a row. So just do it 31 times. Do it one more time. 
and then get over the next fear, the next have the courage to take the offer and submit it to somebody who can actually approve it. Now, those of you that are students of mine have been through my coaching, one thing I always tell people is you should need to be submitting offers to decision makers. Anytime you can be face-to-face with a decision maker, you are much better off. No, I'm not suggesting that you go around wholesalers or realtors, but it helps when you're dealing directly with the seller. I get, as far as courage goes, you sh- you probably have a good reason to be afraid of the wholesaler or afraid of the, the, the realtor because sometimes they're a little, I guess, terse or direct or to the point, or all they're doing is trying to qualify you so that you don't waste their time. But sellers, in a lot of cases, they don't know any better. I'll be honest with you, they don't. That's why I like dealing directly with sellers. They're just as scared as you are. See, the wholesaler and the realtor, they're experienced. They're probably not scared. But when you're dealing directly with a seller, I think it's easier because they're scared. And when they're scared and you're scared, then everybody's cool. But if you're scared and nobody else is scared, that's a problem, right? That's where the, that's where it's going to take the courage to overcome this. Fear in get the offer getting accepted comes down to logic. Understand that when the offer gets accepted, that's great. But that, that doesn't mean you're done. That doesn't mean you have to write a check right then and there. What it means is that now you have to do your due diligence. So all you're really trying to do is to get agreement from a seller. And one of the things that I did in the beginning that helped me a lot is instead of writing an actual contract, an actual, an actual official offer, use a letter of intent if that makes you feel better. The boy, the bottom line is you're trying to get to a meeting of the minds. You're trying to get the seller and you, if you're the buyer, to agree on something to agree on price and terms. Well, to do that and ratify that so it makes sense, you have to document it somehow. So it doesn't matter to me whether you use a letter of intent or an actual quote unquote contract or template contract. Honestly, until it's not until it's signed by both all parties, it's not a contract anyway. It's not an agreement until everybody agrees to it and it's been signed and ratified and that's what makes it a contract. So don't get excited about that part of it. Instead, focus on getting and talking to the decision makers talking to the problem solvers, finding out why are they selling? And once you find out why they're selling, what are they going to do with the money? And how you say that is going to depend whether or not you get an answer or a swift kick in the shins. Hey, Mr. Seller, I think it's awesome. You're selling your house and I can't wait to buy it. Let me ask you when you, when I buy your house and you get that big check, what are you going to do with the money? You're going to take your wife to Europe. You're going on vacation. What are you doing? You see how it sounds different? Cause I'm excited. It doesn't sound like they're under a microscope or I'm with the IRS. It just sounds like we're having a general conversation and normal people in the course of normal conversation will be more than happy to answer the answer, answer that question because they won't feel it at being invasive. So understand that. I know that you probably fear non-performance, that you're not going to be able to perform. Okay. Now I had to have the courage when I was writing offers early on, I had to have the courage to know, to tell myself that Tyler, you're going to find the money or you're going to get approved for this loan. It's going to be okay because you're a guy that keeps good records and you're going to follow through. And when the mortgage broker asks you for something, you're going to give it to him and you're not a bad person and you're you're acting in good faith. You see, this is why I don't like, I never liked being a wholesaler because I didn't feel like I was acting in good faith. I'm a guy that's going to let people know what's going on. I'm not going to try to deceive or, or cheat or steal from people. I just can't do that. That's not who I am. It's not, a, it's, it defies everything I, I stand for. So for me, I had a hard time being that kind of wholesaler. So I was the kind of wholesaler where everybody knew what was going on. And I'll tell you, I always solve the seller's problem. And this, when you solve somebody's problem, they don't give a hoot what you make. I'll tell you that right now. I tell them flat out, I'm making 15. I'm going to mark this up $15,000 and give it to another guy who's going to follow this, follow through on this. And every once in a while, they'd say, well, why don't I f- deal with them directly? I'm like, well, if you can find them, go ahead. Ha ha. And they go, yeah. I mean, start now. It's a needle in a haystack. I found them and I'm willing to help you through this transaction. And for that, the, my fee is going to be $15,000. The good news is you're not paying that Mr. Seller. They are because the only one writing a check here is them, not you. So what do you care? And usually they laughed it off. It was no big deal. 
I had to have the courage to succeed though, ladies and gentlemen. And I had the courage to succeed because I'll tell you, getting successful is scary as hell. I'm here to tell you, it is sometimes it can be overwhelmingly terrified. The other, the other courage it takes is to, is to be okay with saying no. And I had a huge problem with this because I was a guy, I'm a, I, by nature, I'm a people pleaser. I want people to like me like anybody else. I'm an average, normal human being, just like you listening to the show right now. And I don't like to disappoint people. That's no fun. I, I feel bad disappointing people because I have a conscience, you know, gee, sorry. So for that, when you have a conscience and you don't want to let people down, when someone pitches you an opportunity, sometimes it can be terrible when you have to say no. So uh, what happens is, is that people say yes, even when they know they should say no. And for me, a big one was my time. You see, I was a doormat when it came to my schedule, my time. I used to let everybody and anybody steal my time from me. I never thought of that as stealing my, my time from me. I didn't think that I was anybody special, or, or and I still don't think that I'm above anybody else. I'm just like everybody else. But I do know this. When I'm focused on accomplishing something, I need to get this accomplished. Like when I'm, ham when I'm talking to one of my students on all of my coaching programs, there's a one-on-one -on -one element where I work directly with them one-on-one, -on -one. even in the group coaching. I work directly with the students one-on-one -on -one when they have issues and problems and to work through different situations. So when I'm in coach mode and I got my coach hat on, the phone gets shut off. It, everything gets turned to voicemail, the, the email, the Snapchat, all that crap gets turned. I'm lying. I don't go on Snapchat because I don't understand it. Is that even a thing anymore? Anyway, I shut everything down and I focus on that person because what I've learned is that for me and like probably most people in America, it's very difficult to concentrate on anything. And Lord knows that if I've got more than one thing to look at, I will look at it. So I shut everything down and I focus on that one person. And what I find is the results are overwhelming. Okay. The results are, are absolutely overwhelming. So for me, I sit there and focus on the seller's problem. So if a wholesaler comes to me with a, with a deal and they pitch it to me, I'm going to start asking for more information, due diligence documents, things like that. But I don't ever commit unless I'm going to buy, of course, which I usually don't buy from wholesalers because they don't know what they what I need to know to, for them to buy in the first place, first place. And they're usually trying to sell me a flip because they don't listen to me and they don't realize that I don't buy flips. I don't flip property. I buy them and hold them. Except for land, I do flip land, but that's a whole different story, and I certainly don't need a wholesaler for that. That said, people still come beat my door down. So I've changed my mindset in that when somebody's coming to me with something that doesn't fit what I want, that that's it's a wasting my time. It's an abuse of my time, and I've reined in my schedule because of it, my calendar. People don't talk to me on the phone unless you're family or close friends. When people call my phone, I don't answer unless I have a scheduled appointment or I know who you are. If I know who you are, then in your family or close friend, then fine, I'll talk to you. I got no problem with that at all. But if you're a stranger, I don't just let people call and solicit me. I've, I've got every solicitor in town. People want to give me unsecured this and they want to give me that. And, oh, can you do this? And can you do that? No, sorry. You have to go through channels. I understand now why people do that, why people set themselves up that way so they can go through channels. And ladies and gentlemen, have the courage to control your time. For example, when I do the Ask Tyler, you go to cashflowguys.com forward slash Ask Tyler. I'm happy to give anybody some time on my calendar provided that it's scheduled. You see, that way I can control when I get my, my work done. If I just go willy-nilly and say, hey, call me anytime, 727 blank, blank, blank. I used to have people when I started this podcast, I kid you not, I had people from California calling me at 10 o'clock at night and then bitching on my voicemail that I wasn't available for them for free, by the way. People I've never met going, what kind of jerk are you? What kind of scam is this, man? I've left you three voicemails tonight and you haven't called me back. I'm like, well, dude, it's 10 o'clock. I'm in bed. The hell's wrong with you that you call a total stranger demanding a free service from them 
and then be mad that the dance are 10 o'clock at night. I mean, I don't know what, what how people even think that way, but who knows? It happens. So I had to have the courage to control my calendar. That's why I use that scheduling application. If you're not a close friend or a family member, you don't get on the phone with me unless, unless we schedule. That's not because Tyler's a big deal. It's because it's very hard for Tyler to say no. And Tyler gets taken advantage of real easy because Tyler is not good at managing his own time when it comes to pleasing other people. I know that some of you listening to this show are probably shaking your head right now going, yep, I'm that person. That's me. People use my schedule as a doormat. They get, they, I, I don't get anything accomplished because I'm always helping other people. Guys, girls, I get it. One of the ways you can do that is to get a calendar app. Calendly is one of them. Schedule once is what I use. And it controls when you're available. And what you tell people, guys and girls, is, hey, if you want to get on the phone with me and talk about that, that's cool. Hey, here's a link to my calendar. You find a time that works best for you. What you don't say is that the only time available is the time that actually works best for you. And let them pick a time that works best for them. And ladies and gentlemen, that's called having courage. That's called having personal responsibility. So I'm here to tell you that although sometimes it isn't, it seems almost impossible to be courageous, full of courage, however you want to look at it, I assure you that on the backside of that is absolutely everything you have ever looked for. Everything you ever want is on the other side of fear. I know you maybe have heard that before. Maybe you've seen a meme on Facebook, but I'm here to tell you Every time I have an insurmountable fear or even a small fear and I get past that fear, almost it's like heaven on the other side. When I'm afraid of asking for something or maybe it's going to an event or social anxiety or whatever it may be, fear of missing out, whatever your fears are, if you can muster the courage just to get through that one thing, I promise you what's on the other side will be worth the effort. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to leave you right here. I hope you got value out of this episode and we will catch you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.